Thanks for tuning in to the IGM podcast. We're so glad you've decided to explore God's word with us. We look forward to connecting with you in email at infointegritygm.com or online at our website, www.integritygm.com. We hope this podcast encourages you to grow in the knowledge of God through his word. Be blessed. Blessings to everyone today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, this is a podcast that is coming from IGM, and it's part of a segment or a series that we're doing called Evangelical Perspectives. And today, the issue is on abortion, and it's something that I have been wanting to do for some time, and Alan is in the studio with me. And we're going to be looking at the issue of abortion and how this issue is very important to evangelical churches And we're going to spend some time looking at this and really going in detail some of the ways that we need to approach this issue within the body of Christ. And the question that always comes up to me, can a follower of Christ, can a Christian ever vote for someone that is pro-abortion? And that is the perspective that we're going to look at today. And we're going to try to go through this subject and we're going to look at some scripture We're going to go through abortion stats. We're going to look at some quotes. We're going to look at the evangelical movement. We're going to talk about how this is not a single issue, but it is the issue that is facing the church today about how we support and how we vote for people. And then we're going to come to a conclusion of this and how we need to respond to this conclusion. So I'm going to start off with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. I pray that everything that Alan and I say today, that it will honor you, that it will reflect your word, that it will really encourage the body of Christ, and it will build up the body of Christ. And Heavenly Father, let what we are speaking today come from a biblical worldview, not a worldview that comes from any other philosophy, but let it come from your word. And Heavenly Father, give us your direction, be with us today, and be honored today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the question is, can a follower of Christ ever vote for a politician, vote for someone that supports abortion? Now, what is abortion? For me, a simple definition is the deliberate termination of a human pregnancy. And when you look at that simple definition, we're not talking about a miscarriage. Some people in different parts of the world call that an abortion. But we're talking about the deliberate termination of a human pregnancy, about the child that is in the womb. And that is how we are defining abortion. First of all, like we do in every aspect when we're looking at any subject, I want to go to the Word of God. And we're just going to go to some passages within the Scripture that really shows the love of God for children. And we believe that the child that is in the womb is not just tissue. It is a living, breathing human being. And it is life that is precious unto God and should be precious to everybody. And so let's go to Psalm 127. I'm going to read this whole psalm. Many of you are familiar with this psalm. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, 
for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. I'm going to read that again. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. When we look at this passage and about God's love for children, and that verse 3, Alan, is so important. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. The child in the womb is a reward to that family. It is a precious gift. We are living in a Western culture that's come out of Darwinism, coming out of evolutionary theories of life. And when we look at the world through a Darwinistic mindset, worldview, it doesn't bring us to the conclusion that children are a gift of the Lord. In fact, in the Western world, it is promoted have as few children as possible. And then by having one child, two children, and three children, wow, that's, that's something you need to slow down and think about not having any children beyond three. But in a Western society, as coming out of a culture, we do not see children as a gift of the Lord. And it's very important that the body of Christ does not get caught up into that philosophy. And I remember one time talking with a young couple, and they did not have children, and they were very intentional about not having children. They looked at another family. They had eight children. And I said, wow, that's incredible. They said, that's so selfish that they would want to have eight children. That's, and they just went on and on and on about how selfish this was. And I listened to them, and I just said, no, it's not. I said, because children are a blessing from the Lord. And we must see children in that way. That couple had allowed a Western mindset to come into their philosophy of life. And that's not a biblical understanding. And so when we look at children, when I see a family that has 10 children, some people just shake their head in a negative And I say, well, praise God. I wish I could have had 10 children. And uh, I wish I would have had more than just the three as I look back on my life. And my wife does as well. And all three children that God has blessed us with, we just praise God for them. And they are such a gift. And we want to leave children that leave a testimony for the Lord. And I want as many grandchildren as I can get and great-grandchildren. I have never, Alan, seen this as a negative of any family ever having a lot of children. Yeah, something comes to mind with that worldview, too. You know, I, you know, recently, a few years ago, I was in China, you know, and China just released the one-child one law, you know, that they had for so long where it was actually illegal to have more than, than one child because they're so worried about overpopulation, so worried about, as you said, you know, it's, it's selfish to have more. Because and they would force them to have abortions. Yeah, because it's, you know, this sort, sort of the greater good. You shouldn't have as many children. But you're right. You're absolutely right. That's not the biblical worldview. And you know, I want to say this. Alan, pro-abortion politicians here in the U.S. fought to give money to the World Health Organization and other organizations to support abortions going on in China. You know, a lot of their argument on it, you know, the resources in the world, the overpopulation, but praise God we serve the God who created 
earth who created all the resources that we have. So who are we to tell him that we're we're better caretakers of his resources that he's given us? Um, and I think that's a mindset that's that's a worldly mindset where the Christian mindset is, God, you control whatever it is with the earth, all the things that we need, you know exactly what it is. So if you know God is telling us that children are a blessing, who are we to argue that more than one is selfish or one is all that we should have you know it just doesn't it doesn't match up and and you're absolutely right that's a that's a mindset that's crept into the church but it's not a godly viewpoint on this yes because people that are in the body of Christ have spent their whole life going through the public school systems most of them and they have been indoctrinated with this world view remember what god said be fruitful and multiply here when we go to psalm 127 that children are a blessing of the Lord. We must always see them in that context and never see them in a negative context. And so I'm not trying to get into the the realm of telling families to have as many children as you as you possibly can. I'm not trying to do that. What I'm saying is to every family, see that every child that God has placed into your hand and every pregnancy is precious unto God and every child that is born, that that child is a blessing. You should never look at that child in a negative way at all. Even if that child has physical handicaps, mental handicaps, or anything of that nature, look at that child as a blessing of the Lord, as a gift that has come from God, and praise God for that, and raise that child to know the Lord, to fear the Lord, and to have a relationship with the Lord. And every child is precious unto God, the child in the womb and the child that comes out of the womb. Now, I want us to also go to Jeremiah chapter 1. Alan, if you could read us verses 4 and 5. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Amen. Can you read that one more time? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Let's stop there. Before God formed Jeremiah in the womb, God knew him. God knows all things. God knew Jeremiah before he was born. He knew everything about him. And God is forming Jeremiah in the womb. And then after that, he says, And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Before he came out of the womb and was born into this world, this child had been consecrated by God to be a prophet to the nations, plural. And today we are still preaching the message of Jeremiah 2,626 years later. We are preaching his prophetic message about a new covenant and so much that he promised that would be coming in the future So powerful was his messages that everything he preached, Jesus, when he was the Messiah, was here on the earth. Some some people said he's Jeremiah because it reminded them so much of the prophet Jeremiah. So when we look at this, what I'm saying is that before he was formed in the womb, God says, I knew you. And before you were born, before you came out of the womb, I had consecrated you to be a prophet to the nations. You are seeing the hand of God upon Jeremiah, even in the womb. And it wasn't until he was born 
that he became something precious to God. God was part of the whole process of forming him in the womb. God's hand was upon this child that was in the womb. And I love to look at Jeremiah chapter 1 and to see God's hand upon Jeremiah, even as he is being formed by God in the womb. Now, I want us to also now to go to James, Jacob, chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. And some people might be confused, why have you picked these verses? And I want to read them and talk about them. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. I'm going to read that again. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Verse 27 is important to me because orphans and widows, if you go back through the Tanakh, the Old Covenant Scriptures, the Hebrew Scriptures, you start going through and you really see the character of God who is always standing on the side of the defenseless. In the prophets about the widows and the orphans and God's judgment that is coming against the nation because there's blood on their hands and because they are not protecting the widows and the orphans. In that culture, they do not have a support system. When there is a widow, that means she doesn't have anyone to take care of her at all. An orphan does not have anyone to take care of that child. So a widow and an orphan, what is important to God? What is true and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father? To visit orphans and widows in their distress. To come to the aid of the defenseless and to be able to stand in the gap and say, we're standing with you. We're not abandoning you. We're not taking advantage of you, but we're going to stand there with you and we're going to visit you and we're going to be here with you because these are the most precious individuals sometimes to God. And when you look at this, it brings out the real understanding of God's character that you see so many times throughout the Old Covenant. You see God's anger to the nation of Israel and to Judah, the Jewish people sometimes, because they're taking advantage of the defenseless. But God's understanding is that the widow and the orphan is to be taken care of. The widow and the orphan is to be visited. The widow and the orphan, the society should look after them. And if we talk about who is the most defenseless person in all of society, it is the child in the womb. And you think about that. Nobody else can speak for that child. If the body of Christ will not come and unify and speak as one voice that this child is precious to God, this child is precious to us, give us this child. If you do not want this child, we will take the child and we will raise this child for God's glory. And so the widow and the orphan really defines as we're looking at what is true and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father, it is visiting the defenseless, the widow and the orphan, in the times of their distress. 
So this is a reason why I read this scripture passage, and it brings up so much of the character of God that comes forth from the prophets as we read in the Hebrew scriptures. Now, I want to go back to Jeremiah, and if you don't mind, Alan, if you can read from chapter 7, verses 31 through 34. They have built the high places of Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnon, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, and it did not come into my mind. Therefore, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when it will no longer be called Topeth, or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. For they will bury in Topeth, because there is no other place. The dead bodies of this people will be food for the birds of the sky and for the beasts of the earth, and no one will frighten them away. This is probably the most sad time in Judah's history, in its whole existence. Because right outside of the city of Jerusalem, in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, the word son mean in Hebrew is ben. So then the valley of Ben-Hinnom, in a place called Fireplace, originally in the Aramaic, uh, Topeth meant fireplace, but it became synonymous with child sacrifice. But there was a garbage dump, and there was a fire that always burned there in the valley of Ben-Hinnom because it was a garbage dump. And outside of the city gates was an idol that was set up to Molech. And at Molech, the Jewish people would bring their children, their sons and their daughters, out of fear, out of honoring this demonic God, and they would bring their children and sacrifice them on the altar of Molech. And when we look at this, Jesus used the word Gehenna in Greek, which is coming from ben Hinnom, to describe what hell is going to be like. And the imagery of Gehenna, a place of burning, weeping, and gnashing of teeth, and that imagery of the valley of ben Hinnom of these children being sacrificed to Molech, that's what it's going to be like in separation from God. Jesus used the description, the most horrible description that the Jewish people could ever visualize in their own minds of what it's going to be like to be separated from God. It's going to be like Gehenna, ben Hinnom. And so when we look at this time frame in the time of Jeremiah, the high places, and then they had Topeth, and you had the fireplace, and you had Molech that was there. And the Jewish people actually, in order to honor Molech, would be, bring their children and sacrifice them to Molech. And God is saying to them, it will not go unpunished. There's a day that is coming, and I believe this is fulfilled from the Babylonians that are coming, that they're going to destroy this city and when they slaughter the people within Jerusalem, they're going to throw them into the valley of Ben-Hinnom. And it's going to be the valley of slaughter. Now, we look at abortion today. We say, well, we're not sacrificing children to Molech. Well, look at the people of that day, the Jewish people of that day, probably out of fear and worshiping this pagan god, how demonic it is that they're bringing their children and sacrificing them. Why are people doing it today in Western cultures, in America, and all over the West? In these cultures, they're doing it for the god of themselves, that this is inconvenient to me. They're doing it for the sake of my future, my life, what makes me better. And you're looking at this they were doing it because they were paying honor to a demonic god. Here, we're doing it in the Western society to say, it doesn't fit my future. 
It's inconvenient, the God of inconvenience, the God of self. This is not something that's going to help me in my career. This is not something that's going to be beneficial for me in the future. So I'm going to go into my own womb, and I'm going to destroy this precious life, and I'm going to sacrifice it. And please understand, that will not go unpunished by God. God punished the Jewish people. He allowed the Babylonians to come in, and they destroyed all of Judah, took them into exile. Many fled into Egypt, but there was a valley of slaughter that came through the Babylonians, and that valley of Ben-Hinnom, where the fire never went out, was just filled with bodies because of the judgment of God, because of the sacrifice of children. That should really bring a holy fear within this nation. It should bring a fear that says, God, what have we done? What have we done in order to participate in something like that? You see, we look back at the Bible and we think, well, that's back then and look how horrible that is. But look at us today. And Alan, I'm going to read us some statistics. 40 to 50 million children are murdered worldwide per year, annually. 40 to 50 million around the world. 125,000 abortions happen worldwide every single day. In the USA, 3,000 abortions per day. This represents 22% of all pregnancies in the United States of America. From 1973 through 2005, more than 45 million abortions occurred in the U.S. Wow. Just put that in perspective there. 45 million children that we have sacrificed on the altar of Darwinism, of secular humanism, of inconvenience to my life for the God of self, that this didn't fit into my future, this child. 45 million abortions from 1973 through 2005. 37.1% of all abortions are performed on black women. The black population only makes up 14% of the U.S. population. It has especially hit minority communities. In the black community, the African-American community, 37.1% of all abortions are performed on black women even though the African-American population is only 14% of the population. Did you know that more black babies are aborted in New York City than are born? Wow. That's unfathomable to really think about that reality. I'm going to read you a uh, quote from Margaret Sanger. Many people that are listening will uh, know that person's name. Uh, Some are not familiar with her, but she is instrumental of starting and building Planned Parenthood, which is probably the worst organization, the most demonic organization on the face of the earth. Sanger was a, a racist. She was part of eugenics. She believed in Darwinism. She spoke at KKK rallies. She believed that birth control is to eliminate the unfit A better race can be achieved through birth control. I want to read a quote from Margaret Sanger to Clarence Gamble. And I want to read this quote so that you can understand the mindset of eugenics and mindset of these people 
who really wanted to eliminate certain races. A lot of this came out of Nazi Germany. There were people here in the U.S. that believed in eugenics, but it's coming from a Darwinistic worldview, not from a biblical worldview. But Margaret Sanger wrote to Clarence Gamble in December 1939, and she writes this, We do not want word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population, and the minister is the man who can straighten out that idea if it ever occurs to any of their more rebellious members. So there was deception that was involved of why she was starting Planned Parenthood, of what she was trying to do. She wanted to bring this through the church. That's what's so incredible. She said the minister is the man to protect us and what we're trying to do. Now, this is a letter to Clarence Gamble that she is writing. But her goal was the extermination of the black population here in America. That goes back to the Darwinistic society that Nazi Germany was. What did Nazi Germany want to do? They wanted to eliminate all non-European races, and they just wanted it to be an Aryan race, and that had come into America. And someone like Margaret Sanger, who is the founder of Planned Parenthood, this was her motivation. Now today, Nancy Pelosi and Hillary Clinton have received the Margaret Sanger Award, and they stand up on television just boasting in this lady. And when you go back and you see who she was, what is the difference between her and Adolf Hitler? Same philosophy, same goals, looked at the human race as animals, and there are the higher races and the lower races, and the lower races need to be exterminated. This is the foundation of Planned Parenthood. This is what they try to keep from the black community, from minority communities, from all of us here in the U.S. People look at Planned Parenthood as something of that is helping society. It is the most demonic organization that has ever existed in the world. Yeah, and I was just looking back at this verse in Jeremiah, especially verse 31, and we're here mainly speaking to believers and people that are in the body of Christ. And as Scott mentioned, you know, this is a demonic organization, Planned Parenthood. You know, abortion and the promotion of pro-abortion is just fully demonic. But you look at what God says to his people when they were starting to go into this practice and essentially support it. They were doing it. If you're a Christian, you're listening, and, and hopefully you haven't had an abortion or thinking about one. And, you know, we're not really specifically speaking to that because we know that it's wrong. But he's saying, I did not command, and it did not even come into my mind. This is something almost unthinkable to God to say, how could I, this has never even been a thought to you yes. know, murder these children, to sacrifice these children, especially to a false God, especially to a false idol. Or as Scott mentioned today, we're sa- sacrificing these children to the God of ourself, to convenience, to selfishness. So really throwing behind something that's so demonic and supporting something so demonic just be very clear. That's what it is. It's demonic and and whatever kind of bow they want to put on it. And as Scott mentioned Margaret Sanger and there's a lot of dece- Sanger. Sanger. There's yeah. a lot of deception that's involved in this. And and I think a deceptive thing you hear now is that, well, it's better off for the children. They're not going to grow up in a bad situation and and their life isn't going to be as good as it should have been. So they they try to flip it and say, well, you're actually really doing a better thing for this unborn child because they're going to grow up in a bad circumstance. And if you take that same principle, look at children that are in orphanages 
percentages now, especially minority children, you know, look at their success rate chance that they have of having not having a mother or father. So if, you have, if that argument's true, then you would just go in there and eliminate all these children. Um, yes. Because they don't have a shot based on what the world says. But praise God, as a biblical worldview, we are more than conquerors in Christ, and we have a hope and a future as children of God. And, and who are we to decide that, you know, that someone is better or not? So so my point is, don't let this bow of whatever it is be put around it to say this is better for you, this is better for children, because society, society whatever they're trying to tell you, you're really looking at something demonic that God himself, through Jeremiah, is saying, this never even crossed my mind that we could even think about doing this. How could it ever come into the mind of God? It's completely opposite of everything about God's character. And I love that you brought that up because it's not something that God ever asked them to do or would ever even come up into his own mind. How could something like that be a part of the character of God? Also, when you look at people today that try to spin this as a positive, it is identical in Nazi Germany. Adolf Hitler and the Nazis thought that they were doing the human race a favor by eliminating the handicapped, by going after people that were weak in society, they thought, by looking at non-European races, especially the Jewish people, but you had the gypsies and you had Slavic people that they wanted to wipe out completely as well, to look at them and to say that they're lower, they're insignificant, they're not like us, is as sinful as you can get. Every life is precious unto God. And the most precious to God, I believe, is the defenseless life the one that cannot speak for themselves. And God is a holy God, and God is a God that wants us to defend the widow and the orphan in their distress. God would never think about sacrificing a child. Children are a blessing from the Lord. And when we look at these aspects, say with Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you to be a prophet to the nations. And so the same thing that they had in Nazi Germany was here in America through this Darwinistic society. And it came up through this Margaret Sanger who really promoted this for the elimination of the African-American population in the U.S. That was one of her main goals, the unfit, she called them. And today... The irony of ironies is that the community that embraces this organization more than any other community is the black population in America. And there needs to be repentance. There needs to be a coming to God on his terms. There needs to be a turning away from that. And many, many wonderful Christian African-Americans today are speaking the truth, and we need to listen to them. And that community needs to listen to the right people within their community, the ones that stand for the Word of God. And I want to say this, Alan, this is not a single issue. It is the issue. The greatest sin the world has ever known is abortion. And when we, came, when we come to a political issue and we start looking at it, 
and we start looking at, well, some people say, well, this is one issue, but I disagree with this, this, and this. I can debate with anybody on a lot of these different issues, but what I say to them is that this is the issue for the body of Christ. This is something that I cannot compromise on and you cannot compromise on in your life or in your church. It would be like being in Nazi Germany and people are being sent to the gas chambers, to the concentration camps, and and a believer, a Christian in Germany says, but I really like the Nazis. That's only one issue. No, it is the issue. And people that stood up against that within the church, they were killed as well. You're coming against something that is so demonic, so evil, and this society is called evil good, that you're coming against establishments We're coming against the education establishments, the government establishments from the local, state, federal levels. We're coming against the Democratic National Committee and their stand on this, their platform. And we're looking at control within the media, Hollywood. All these establishments and all these platforms stand on the side of being pro-abortion. And this is the time, like none other, that we should be speaking Yeah, and I think you're going to touch on this, I think, in a minute, Scott. But the body of Christ coming together to build each other up, to edify, to be a safe place to serve the Lord and to glorify God's name. We have to be 100% united on this, where I don't need to go into, you know, my home church and be concerned if someone is on the same page with me about the issue of abortion. And I think that's what we're seeing, especially here in the Western church, especially in our Western society, where the waters are starting to get muddied in some Christian's mind on whether or not they can support a person that supports abortion or if they can not be as vocal on this topic. But when we as believers should have a unified message, we will not stand for this. And that that speaks loud and clear to politicians, to people that are making that decision. We still do have a great voice here in America, and it's probably one of the last voices around the world that really stands for biblical worldview and can influence other countries, other nations, and we need to be united with this and not have any question in our mind how demonic it is. And as Scott mentioned, it is the issue. Um, Whatever else you want to debate about, you can debate about it, but this should be something that is absolutely 100% non-issue is that abortion is evil, it's demonic, it's a sin, and we will not support anybody that supports it. Not even one time, and you can put a gun to my head, and I know Alan's the same way, and say, you have to vote for this person or we're going to squeeze the trigger. And I would say squeeze the trigger. It's not something that we can compromise as a follower of Christ, as the body of Christ, and in local churches. I'm going to read for us the DNC platform, the Democratic National Committee, Can a Christian vote for a politician that's part of this committee or this political organization? And I would say no. Their platform is this. They say, like the majority of Americans, Democrats believe that every woman should be able to access high-quality reproductive health care services, including safe and legal abortion. That is their platform. There are a few Democrats, politicians, that do not believe in abortion, but why are they still on that platform? That is their national platform. That is what the Democratic National Committee stands for. They also commit themselves to restoring federal funding for planned parenthood. They oppose state laws that limit abortion. They are the leading advocacy for abortion in this nation. And so it really is the number one issue for the DNC if you're going to be part of that organization. 
And so when you look at that, how can any Christian ever vote for any politician that is part of the Democratic National Committee or any politician that believes in abortion? Let me break down some statistics for us. Going back to this last election that we had in 2020, just 30-something days ago, of all Christians, 55% voted for Trump, 43% for Biden. That really just, I cannot even fathom that. But remember, a lot of people are just Christian in name. They grew up, they say they're Christian, they don't even know the first thing about the Bible, and they don't follow Christ. Protestants, it goes up a little bit higher. 58% Trump, 40% Biden. White evangelicals, this was the strongest group. 82% voted for Trump, who was pro-life. 17% for Biden, who was pro-abortion. Black Protestants in the country, 8% voted for Trump, 88% for Joe Biden. Black evangelicals from a survey, they believe that 19% were going to vote for Trump, so it really went up, 69% for Joe Biden. When we look at these stats and these surveys that were done, and some people are going to get angry that I split it up in that way, but I really want us to see the reality of what's going on. It was evangelicals that were the strongest support for a pro-life candidate. And that was the main reason why they stood behind Trump, because of his willingness to stand behind a pro-life platform with Supreme Court justices and for individuals that are trying to promote pro-life and defunding of organizations, of our taxpayer monies that are going for abortion. That is the number one reason why evangelicals, the strongest group in this country that stood behind President Trump, it was the white evangelicals that really stood behind him, that really got behind him, and a small minority of black evangelicals did as well. Now, this makes it very important that when we go back to the beginning of Planned Parenthood, what was the goal of Margaret Sanger? What was her focus and her intent? And that was to eliminate the African-American population. Yet, when we go into Christianity, it is this population that is standing with the Democratic National Committee more than any other group within side of the church. And that should not be. And I praise God for conservative Christian African Americans that are out there that are speaking the truth, that are not willing to bow down to this world and is not calling evil good and good evil, but they're really, really speaking the truth and they pay a big price. And we stand for them because they're really presenting a biblical worldview. Now, evangelicals. Let's go back to evangelicals. Who are evangelicals? They are a vibrant and diverse group, including believers found in many different churches, denominations, and nations around the world. This community brings together theologies from reform to holiness, Baptists, Pentecostals, Charismatics, and other denominations as well and other traditions within Christianity. They believe that the Bible is the highest authority for what we believe. They believe it is important for us to be a witness for Jesus Christ. They believe in the death of Jesus Christ as a substitutional death, and that's the only thing that can remove sin. 
and they believe that faith in Christ alone as Savior receives God's free gift of eternal salvation. These are some core belief systems that unite all these different denominations, non-denominational groups, and traditions that come under the heading of the evangelical movement. The Bible is the Word of God. We believe in one God, one Savior, one Lord, one salvation. The only way to have your sins forgiven is through faith in Jesus Christ, and He's coming again. Get ready ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the evangelical movement. And they believe in Scripture alone for the rule and authority within our life. And so when we look at the evangelical movements, how could some of them vote for a pro-abortion candidate? And this is going to make people a little bit uncomfortable. But within the evangelical movement, like I mentioned in a prior podcast, there is the seeker-friendly and the seeker-sensitive movements as well. They believe all of these core doctrines, but yet they have a church growth model philosophy is that we need to unite people, bring them together, and focus upon what we do agree upon and not the things that we don't agree on. And most of their sermons and most of their teachings are topical, and they're not taking their people through God's Word in a systematic way where people are having a biblical worldview. They have great worship. They have great music. I should say great music because worship is everything that we do. They have great worship and song. They're very organized. They're very friendly, and they go after the individual, and they have a focus on the individual, and they really want to reach people. And there are some great churches, local assemblies that are powerful within this movement. I am not saying that every church within this movement, that it's a false movement. I've just said, like I have said in prior podcasts, they're on a shaky foundation, and that's the best way to describe it. But you're looking at people that are groups that are associated with Joel Osteen. You're looking at Rick Warren, the churches that come out from Rick Warren, Willow Creek. You're looking at Hillsong, You're looking at the philosophy that was developed by Ted Haggard and through Highlands Church in Birmingham, Alabama, and what we call the Associated of Related Churches, called the ARC. We're talking about a whole movement here in the U.S. that has gone out around the world with a philosophy of bringing people into the body of Christ, not through repentance and turning away from your sin and faith in Christ and changing your life and embracing a walk with the Lord by denying yourself and taking up your own cross and following Him. Now, they may state that that is their purpose, but in their church growth model, what is it? Let's get people into the church. And let's unify. And during this last election, Alan, I, in these groups, in these churches, they were saying, don't be political in your small groups. Stay away from this within your pulpits. We don't want to divide people. And what should have been taking place in the pulpits and in the small groups and in the Bible studies, which in many of these churches, they don't even study the Bible anymore. They study books and they use the Bible as a proof text to a subject that they're studying. When they look at this, they're saying, stay away from the political issues. What are the political issues? What is the most important political issue today? It is the sin of abortion. It is the issue. The worst sin that we've ever seen in American history is not slavery. It's abortion. And when we look at that, our churches in this movement, and some of them, not all of them, they were silent, and they were trying to stay away from that and keep the church unified. 
Instead, they should have been preaching God's Word, teaching the Word of God, preparing the people for what represents God and what doesn't represent God. And they could say, well, this doesn't represent God over here, and I understand that. But this is the issue, that there could not be any compromise within the body of Christ. Especially to the the seeker-friendly churches and leaders. You know, there's time coming, and it's here pretty much. It's at our doorstep where to fight against these things. And we're talking about fighting against a demonic force here with abortion, with Planned Parenthood. You know, and as Paul mentioned, you know, we're not fighting against people, principalities and powers and things of demonic nature. You know, just to clarify, to get upset at someone like a Margaret Sanger or, you know, I was in New York when Governor Cuomo passed this extra late-term abortion and they celebrated by lighting up the Empire State Building. You know, I can get upset about the fact that it happened, but to get upset at a non-believer at Cuomo, I'm just wasting my energy. I'm wasting my energy getting upset with people because they're non-believers. Of course they're going to go with the side of what the enemy is trying to do. But as a church, to stand against this, it's going to cost something. Think how evil, and as Scott mentioned, it's probably the greatest sin, or the greatest sin is the greatest sin that we've seen and that has probably ever been seen throughout the entire course of history. And there was a lot of bad stuff that's happened. You think about the Holocaust, that this is times 20 that, and it's still continuing. So what do you think the opposition is going to be if you stand against this? And I think that's what the church is going to start to see, you know, where you're going to lose your tax status. A lot of pastors in the pulpit hide behind the fact, well, we don't, we're not supposed to be political. That's sort of a law of the land, and we need to keep this out, and we'll talk about it in private. But no, that this is an issue of sin. It's an issue of evil. And what else are we supposed to stand up against as leaders and pastors and people in the church? And it's going to go against your growth model, and you're going to have people that will leave because you stand up against this and they don't agree with you. But you know what? I'd rather be on the side of what God is saying through his word, in his word, about this issue than to appease anybody, whether it's quote-unquote church believer in the congregation, whether it's a political authority that's saying you can't speak on this, or whatever the case is, a board of directors at a church, it doesn't matter. And we need to start going with what God is word saying, speaking the truth and calling sin for what it is. And I would say within these churches, it's time to get back to the basics, preaching, proclaiming, teaching the word of God, understanding that it's the shepherd's responsibilities to bring forth the word of God in original intent to the congregation. Do not worry about the size of your congregation. Jesus was always downsizing to get to true discipleship. And it was those disciples with the coming of God's Spirit that turned the world upside down. And so it's a wrong model. Church growth is not the focus. Our model is to glorify God, to worship God, to minister the gospel, and to go forth preaching the Word of God and the truth of God's Word. It's time for these churches to get back to the basics of prayer, fasting, the preaching, teaching of God's Word, In your small groups, get out of all these books on self-help. Get back to studying the prophets, studying the writings of Paul, studying the Gospels. Get back to the Word of God and allow God's Word to accomplish what it needs to be accomplished. You don't have to go out and face these other issues by developing a philosophy that contradicts what is being taught. Just preach God's Word. Teach it. Let the people 
know the Word of God, be ready in season and out of season, when they want to hear it and when they don't want to hear it, you preach the Word of God. This is what Paul is saying to Timothy. This is what God is saying to the seeker-friendly movement today that's part of evangelicalism, is get back to the basics, preach the Word of God, teach the things of God, do not compromise, do not worry about church growth, worry about honoring God in everything that you do and getting to true biblical discipleship and everything else will fall into place. So yes, the evangelicals were the strongest movement to stand behind pro-life candidates, yet there was a small percentage that didn't. And there is compromise that's going on within the seeker-sensitive movement that they wanted to stay away from these issues. They wanted to stay away from abortion. They wanted to stay away from gay marriage and things of that nature. And Alan, if we cannot get it right on abortion, how can these other issues ever be settled? And these pastors should have been standing up in the pulpit and saying, this is who we're going to vote for. As a body of believers, this is who I am, and this is how I want to influence this congregation. Every candidate that is pro-life, we can vote for. Any candidate that is not pro-life, we cannot, as the body of Christ, endorse them. Now, would he have lost people? Of course. And they would have left. And they would have gone somewhere else. We had one of these big churches that they liked something of a conservative commentator. And there were people in their congregation that got so upset, they said, we're leaving the church. If they would have stood up and made this stand and said it from the pulpit, yes, they would have lost individuals. But this is an issue of the gospel. It's not a political issue. It is an issue of the gospel that has come into the politics. And the world is coming against the church. The world is coming after the church. The world is trying to dictate to the church what we can think, how we can act, and who we can support. And as believers in Christ, there is not any follower of Christ that can ever support a pro-abortion candidate. You may say, but I'm not voting for this guy. That's fine. But we're never going to vote for someone that says it's okay to take the knife and to go into the womb of a lady and to cut up that baby. We're not ever going to support that. Not once. And in our churches and in the seeker-friendly, seeker-sensitive movement, this has to be a reality, getting back to the basics. You lose people, you lose people. But now a lot of these churches are caught in a bad situation because if they say something against this over here, this group is angry. And if they don't say something, another group is angry. And by trying to unify people by what we agree on, that has brought disunity. Paul says to the Corinthian church, I want you all to come in agreement in Christ under his banner, under his authority. Do you think for one moment that Christ would ever endorse someone that was pro-abortion? No. We should have been unified 100%, not 82% in one graphic or anything like that. We should have been 100% unified in Christ, all in agreement. We will never support a candidate that is pro-abortion. This I am emphatic with. Now, where do we go from this point? If anyone's taking this seriously as we're talking about it, if your church did not speak up and did not deal with this during this election, you need to go and have a conversation with your pastor or pastors. And you need to ask them, why did we not speak up? 
why did we not talk about the issue of abortion? And if that pastor is not willing to do that and not willing to say, well, we didn't for this reason, but the next time we're going to be emphatic, we're going to be very intentional about the issue of abortion and how, as a church, we will never support that. If they cannot do that, they cannot convince you, promise you that this is where we stand, you need to leave. And you need to get to a shepherd, a pastor, a church that knows right and wrong, basic rights and wrong, and that is willing to defend the most defenseless individual in the world. And if that pastor cannot do that, you don't just walk out of there, you run. You run and you get to a place, they're teaching, preaching God's word, and there's not confusion, there's unity in Christ. We're not going that direction. We're not going to be vague on this. We're not going to be in a gray area. This is black and white, and the issue is settled. We will never support a candidate that is pro-abortion. We will always support life. We may not endorse someone that's pro-life for other reasons, that's fine, but we're never going to vote for someone that's pro-abortion. We will never go there. We will never stand there. We will stand before God one day. And as Christians, as the body of Christ, there is not any compromise on that issue. Any last words, Alan? So yeah, it's time for us as the body of Christ to stand and say, this is where I'm going to attend. This is where I'm going to put my time and effort and be part of this congregation that stands with this and stands for life and stands for the character of God, because we do need to be fully united as the body of Christ and united in what we believe, united in prayer against it, united in where we vote for it to come against such a demonic force. It's really trying to put a foothold in this world that has put a foothold in this world, and it's not going back any farther. It just keeps progressing. The more society gets evil, the more it's going to try to progress, but we can set up a standard against it as the body of Christ, and we have Christ fighting for these innocent children, God fighting for the defenseless with us, so we need to start walking in that, saying if you're not for this and for fighting for the unborn, then you're standing in against it, and we're not going to stand with you. Yes, and I'm, I'm sending this to as many people after we finish this podcast that I can think of, people that have supported us for years, I want them to hear. And some of them may decide after this that I don't want to be a part of what you're doing. And that's fine. This is something that I want them to know where I stand. Just as if I was pastoring a church, I would want the church to know this is where I stand. And so this is where I stand. I know, Alan, this is where you stand. We may lose some friends. We may have some animosity come against us, and that's okay. But I know the majority, the vast majority are saying, amen, hallelujah. And I'm not seeking to get that. I'm just seeking to get truth out there. And I'm praying, we are praying for churches that were not vocal and were a little bit confused in this last election of what they should say and what they should do. But now looking back on it, I'm encouraging these churches, just get back into the Word of God. Quit trying to grow a big church and teach and preach God's Word, and let's see the body of Christ rise up to maturity, to be a voice for a child that has no voice, and that can never be compromised. Before we pray, I want to read from Psalm 139, a Psalm of David, and David writes this, For you form my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks unto you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. 
My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you, Lord, that you gave Alan and I the opportunity to do this. And Heavenly Father, what you wanted to communicate, let it be communicated as it goes out. Let people hear it. Let them go back to your word. Let them search the word of God. And Heavenly Father, I pray that you will bring clarity in their hearts and in their minds. And we thank you, God, that we are saved by your grace. And we accept it by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Heavenly Father, I pray for ladies that have had abortions, that have gone through this terrible sin. God, I pray for your healing, your grace, your mercy, and your forgiveness. And let them not run away from you, but let them run to you. And use them, O God, to be voices in the future for children that have no voice. Use them. Let them be able to take this tragedy and turn it into a testimony, God, of what you can do within our lives through your forgiveness. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to learn more about IGM or have any questions about this podcast, feel free to reach out to us at info at and connect with us on Instagram at integrity underscore global and Facebook at Integrity Global Missions. If you like our podcast, please share it and leave a review. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed day.